And yay, we are. <laughs> yay, we are. This is the yay. I'm Reg Clay. And I'm Norman G. This is the yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. I'm a little hot, so let me uh, shave that down. Norm, how you doing? I am, Happy you know, Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> and I heard somebody say that in public today, and I looked at him and thought, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Go for that. <laughs> um, it's funny. We got hit by that little bit of heat mm-hmm. this week. Yeah, that's right. And I love it hot. Like everybody, apparently, yeah. like a bunch of us, I got caught. Uh-huh. I went, ooh, it's hot. It's good. <laughs> so I had a job yesterday in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I left home, no jacket, no I, – I will carry, like, even if it's a good, beautiful day, I usually I put a jacket in my bag with some gloves, some stuff. Yeah. I had nothing. I got to the city and came out into that fog. It just was freezing. <laughs> the first time, the very, very first time I uh, came to San Francisco, it was 95, June of 95. I worked for a, uh, a federal government agency called the Corporation for National Service, and they were doing what's no, what they call a Hope Six Conference, basically teaching people who live in um, public housing to write grants. And so it was... Um, so basically, to make a long story short, I came to San Francisco and I was like, "Hey, it's California. It's June. I don't need a jacket. I'll just right. <laughs> carry a you know t-shirts or whatever." I quickly bought a sweater. Oh, quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on one of my first dates with Mara, she was playing in a club. Yeah. And uh, and I was in the city, so I'm like, okay. And she loves doing the carpool thing whenever we can. Mm-hmm. So she's like, "Well, why don't you take Bart over?" Because uh-huh. she has to drive. She's got her trombone, she's got her stuff, Right. she's got to drive. So I'll take Bart, and then I'll walk to, it was at um, Slim's mm-hmm. on Folsom, uh, on 11th and Folsom. Yeah. And I got out of Bart at 16th. I was looking, and really, neither Bart station is close, mm-hmm. but I figured I'll go to 16th Street and walk up. 16th okay. to 11th, that sounds close. I'll try that. Yeah. I got out of that Bart station, and it was so <laughs> cold, and I was like, I am not going to make it. Walked right into the Walgreens right there uh-huh. and bought the first sort of fleece-looking jacket I could find. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. So that's it's been that week. Um, I had uh, up in Richmond, shout out to the East Bay Center for the Performing Arts, we mm-hmm. had our, our kids perform at the end of our term. So oh, nice. This last weekend, all the classes do a performance. Well, I had one student, and she did um, – we talked about last time, uh, Henry V, the prologue to Henry V. Right, yeah, you tell me. How'd she do? She did okay. We do not have a voice class. They have a singing class, so if they learn singing, kids learn a little about projection. Yeah. But in the theater classes, I've been pushing for it. Hopefully, I'll finally get it. Um, she, I, I'm listening to the class ahead of hers. It's the acting fundamentals class. That's mm-hmm. the one that goes ahead of her. Yeah. And they get out there and they're crying. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sitting in the wings going, okay, well, when my girl steps out, because we've been working on this, she's, mm-hmm. I've been making her work big, working the space, you got to hear your voice that's out That's right, there. that's right. And she comes out and starts into, oh, for a musical. Oh, no. And I, was, I, I just, I could just breathe and just shake it off. But so that's finished. That part of my spring is finished. Mm-hmm. Next week, my kids down on the peninsula are mm-hmm. going to do uh, Hannah and the Dread Gazebo. Right. So uh, that's going up. And so today we did a stumble through. Mm-hmm. And um, if you don't know what a stumble through is, in theater, at a certain point, you need to put the scripts down 
You need to start working with the costumes and the props and all, putting all the elements That's of right. the show together. Yeah. And that first time that you do it and the director promises they're going to let you go from beginning to end mm-hmm. without stopping. That's right. Um, and the stage that's manager a stumble will, not, will not, call, don't call for and, line. And, they, and yeah, you can't call for line. Just make it up. This was that day. Mm-hmm. So I have one little girl who every year, pretty much almost every year, I, I think every now and then I skip a year where I don't have a girl who's crying. Mm-hmm. But usually there's, at least every other year, there's a girl. I shouldn't say every other year. At least every two or three years. Now, sometimes I can go two years without yeah. this experience. Mm-hmm. But she's up there crying because so she knows her lines. After yeah. after we did the run, she's telling me, I know my lines. Mm-hmm. But her scene partner wasn't solid. Uh-huh. And so she's sitting there looking at her scene partner like, you're crazy. <laughs> Why don't you know your line? I don't oh, know my goodness. lines. Yeah. And I'm trying to teach the lesson. Yeah. You, it doesn't matter if I know my lines yeah. and you don't know your lines. Yeah. When we get to that awkward place in the scene, the audience doesn't know that you don't know your lines. Right, exactly. They just know that we're not talking, yeah. and one of us is stuttering yeah. and looking uncomfortable. Yeah. That's who they're going to think is messing up. So I always tell that story of mm-hmm. a show where I directed, and there was a bad older actor who mm-hmm. lost his lines all yeah. the time, yeah. but he never showed it. Yeah. And so the good younger actors who were on stage with him ended mm-hmm. up, their friends would come up to him afterwards and basically implied that they hadn't done very well the night. Uh-huh. And it wasn't them. They knew their lines. Yeah. He would lose their lines, and they'd have to. So you almost, I, I should have said to this young girl, mm-hmm. you should learn your scene partner's lines so when they mess up, yeah. you can keep it going. Yeah. This, so I talked uh, last week about an actor that you and I both know. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that was, that was basically about him not giving me um, just, just bad Bad connection. Basically, he wasn't yeah. acting while he wasn't talking. But there's another friend of mine. I, I don't think I'll mention his name, but he's been around the Bay Area for a while. He runs to the same problem. He's an older actor. He mm-hmm. doesn't. I guess his memory is, is going Retention away. Retention is gone, yeah. But he knows how to seize the stage. He knows yeah. the play enough. He knows his character enough. So even when he's rolling around with the line, maybe he'll jump to another line right. or something like that. He understands what the scene is about. It doesn't, the play, you know, the scene isn't lost. Right. So they can still pick it up. And he has amazing presence. Well, you see people who will basically improvise Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing when you're on stage and you watch some actor <laughs> go up. Right. But they know that they got to get to a certain rhythm and get to a line and then they do it and bang. Right. And you're back where you need to be and you're right. like, wow, I don't know how you pulled that off. But Shakespeare did not write what you just said. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, so no, that's um, so that's where I'm at. I'm almost mm-hmm. at the end of my spring. Yeah, summer is tempting. It is so tempting. Yeah, but it has not started yet. And when next Wednesday night comes, my kids will perform. Mm-hmm. Hannah will be done. We'll yeah, put it to bed. Mm-hmm. And I'll have a couple of days before the next week. I'll start up with each one and each one, and mm-hmm. we'll be doing playwriting. That's awesome. So that's – and I'm – usually I'm just one of the mentors. This is definitely something I would love to get the word out on. Mm-hmm. Each one, each one is an organization, theater organization. They associate themselves with theater. Um, they mostly go into juvenile detention centers. Um, and we bring in a playwriting program. We do the basics, the mechanics, the bare bones of playwriting um, for two weeks. And we'll go in Monday through Friday for a couple of hours – and we'll teach the basics of playwriting. And by 
the time we get to the end of the process, they have turned out a small script, mm-hmm. you know, like a 10-minute playlet. Nice. Um, then that last day, so after the 10 days on the last day, which is a Saturday, mm-hmm. um, typically it's a Saturday, uh, we will bring in a group of actors. We will run through it. We will let the young writer be the director of their piece mm-hmm. with their mentor because each one has a mentor. So that's each one reach one. That's nice. where the name comes yeah. from. Mm-hmm. And the mentor was supposed to take a back seat. Uh, you're, you're more like a driving instructor. Mm-hmm. You're in the passenger seat. You right. don't have control over what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> you have nice. mostly your voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you need to know when not to interrupt. Um, so that's coming up. And I'll be the lead teacher. Normally, I'm just one of the mentors. This time, I'll actually be the one who's giving the lesson every time and taking them to the end. And this time, we're actually doing it at a space that's <coughs> – there are those schools. You, I, I don't know if everybody's aware, but there's high school mm-hmm. and there's juvie. And in between is something that's sort of continuation school. You know, they have different names for it, but it's basically some place where kids have kind of fallen out of the regular system mm-hmm. – but we don't want to lose them, and they don't want to be lost. Yeah. Something in them does have some sense of trying to get over that finish line, and there are facilities that allow that to happen. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're going to be going into one. Oh, nice. So nice. my summer starts. I get a couple of days off, Yeah. and then my summer starts. Well, good. I'm glad to see you still working. Yeah. I was thinking about just the, the concept of place, because I told you I went to a playwrights thing that was um, um, the that was last summer. Um, not last summer, the uh, last fall. Um, Berkeley Rep, the Berkeley Rep, they had a playwright. Oh, the musical cafe. Well, that's the musical cafe is what's coming up. Okay. But I'm talking about Gary Grace, his his teaching class. Oh, right, the class, yes, right, yes. exactly. So when you were talking about you're about to teach playwriting, so what are the? Because I know what Gary Grace focuses on. He basically focuses on you know like a, the scope of a play, what what a story is all about. Mm-hmm. And I even go back to when I was. Um, at Duke Ellington, they talked about how the first plays were in Greece, uh, ancient right, Greece. Right, and somebody stepped out of the course from a ritual, from a religious ceremony. Exactly, Thespis, yeah. And bam. Yeah, he was the first actor. But it also talked about, and it was also it was all for, uh, it was, I forget what the celebration was, but it was to celebrate the god Dionysus, the god mm-hmm. of fertility. Right. Yes. So you can have a great harvest. And so right. that's how theater was sort of born. But he also talked about, like, the elements of tragedy and melodrama. Right. And what were the elements of that. Did you ever have that sort of uh, training, or did you ever learn? Uh, As an actor, I became familiar with those because those genres, mm-hmm. when you act those, you act those in different ways. Um, the example I always love is if you think about the difference between comedy and tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I Love Lucy is a comedy. Yep. Lucy gets in some horrible physical situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and Three Stooges is another one I use sure. as an example. Yeah. Things that would be deadly or life-threatening in real life, mm-hmm. but they are set up in such a way in a comedy yeah. that we laugh at them. Right. But if that was happening to your best friend or your mother, mm-hmm. you know, you would not be laughing. You'd be, oh, my God, somebody <laughs> hit my mother on the head with a right. hammer? Right, exactly. And also we had talked about the differences between – Let's say satire and mm-hmm. farce. Right. Um, right. Like well, that's and, and mm-hmm. the difference between what I what I teach and what Gary teaches. Gary is working on that more sophisticated contemporary level of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So that builds on all the things you know the the genres and the styles and the um, the craft 
actually reduce ours down from we uh, what I love about our process is it um, is it defeats writer's block. Oh good. And so it doesn't get you to all the highs. The highs are possible. Mm-hmm. But it does keep you from, you know, your little your little road, your little if your play is a little car, your car doesn't get stuck on the side of the road. Right. We we avoid the potholes mm-hmm. and we teach you how to avoid the potholes and how to keep moving forward mm-hmm. so that you can get to that ending. But the kids understand the structure of a story and they Well can everybody does. I yeah. mean that's what's great. I've also done a lot of improv mm-hmm. and um you know when you've hit that point where you've sort of covered all the bases yeah. or you've at least hit the high moment. Mm-hmm. And at that point, if you can think about what loose ends you can tie up, you tie them up quickly and the audience accepts it as that's done. Right. You don't yeah. have to tie up everything, but there's a we – and some people say that that's actually the part of the way our brain has evolved. Mm-hmm. We recognize systems and we recognize structure. So we all know. I love going into. I teach in elementary schools. It's one of the things that I do. Right oh, now. Okay. Yeah. So that's the other thing that started this week is I do mm-hmm. professional development with mm-hmm. teachers. I teach them how you can bring some of the skills of theater into your classroom. So we're Very talking nice. about the butterfly cycle. Yeah. And what we're talking about is beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. You know that you create a story and yeah. it's going to go somewhere. Oh, so larva, pupil, pupa, and, and butterfly. The, yeah, butterfly. Yeah. Got it. Um, but you also. You start a story with a character, and they want something. Mm-hmm. They take a journey. Usually there's some obstacle, something that keeps them from just having whatever it was they wanted in the first place. Mm-hmm. And they find a way to overcome that, and they get it. Or they try to overcome that, and they don't. That's tragedy. Mm-hmm. Or they try to overcome it, and in the process they learn something new, mm-hmm. and they shift their focus. Yeah. And those are the basics. And mm-hmm. that's... Just teaching that, mm-hmm. and the reason this works in juvie so well is these are people who, there are any number of ways to characterize these folks, but for the most part, we deal with young men, mm-hmm. and especially in San Francisco, young men of color. Yeah. Um, and, and I used to also do this in the East Bay, and it was similar there, but there was a more, more of a white presence in the East Bay, which oh, was kind of gratifying to yeah. me, because yeah. like, yeah, everybody's part of this. Yeah. But I would characterize, gross characterization of these young men is that they have problems with conflict resolution. Well, sure. I mean, that's, it's, it's a part of, I mean, I think it, when you come from, I'm not going to say the ghetto, but if, when you come from a lower part, I mean, you know, I, I'm a product of it, and I think you're, to yeah. the most part, a product of it as well. I mean, any individual of color, you, you so it, it, that doesn't surprise me at all. But theater, that's the way they can work out their resolutions. I mean, they can sort of... Well, good theater, if you've ever seen a bar fight, mm-hmm. a real bar fight, most of the time is over in seconds. Yeah. There's a whole lot of posturing and jockeying, so if you add that into your theater, that's the, <laughs> that build-up of tension. Sure. The build-up of the conflict. Yeah. But once somebody starts swinging, it is often over really quick, and yeah. it's usually messy, mm-hmm. and it, there isn't... There's often not a clear outcome. Right. Smooth all those edges out, mm-hmm. and part of what you learn is like the example I gave about action movies. Mm-hmm. In an action movie, you go around shooting everybody, right. and you get to your objective. Right. You clearly make the audience understand why it's important. You've got to not just save all these people for this reason, but it turns out your baby girl is there, and you've also got to sure, save her. Sure. Yeah. But like I said, suddenly your brother pops up out of one of these doorways. Mm-hmm. You don't shoot him. You have a conversation with yeah. him. 
And so we run into that all the time with, because one of the rules that we set up is the main character has to deal with their closest relationship, mm-hmm. who for some reason isn't helping them get to their goal. Right. Either they have a different goal, mm-hmm. or they don't agree that that's a good goal. Yeah. Or, you know, or, you know, there are any number mm-hmm. of ways to try and block this, but... There's a thing that separates theater from, let's say, the movies or whatever, where usually you have one protagonist, one main character who's doing all the stuff and everyone else are just role players. That's usually how it is in the movies. In theater, right. usually everyone has a different objective. Of course, you have a main character, but you have another character who has an objective. And then you have another character who has an objective, and that objective may clash with yours. And that's where the real conflict is. And the conflict, like, you know, you're talking about the fighting analogy. If there's a barroom fight, usually there's conversation that builds up to it. That is far more dramatic than the actual right. fight itself. Right, the actual Be- fight, unless they're real fighters. <laughs> right. That's sloppy and messy. Right, exactly. Because, you know, it's, it's the build-up, the suspense. And also, what are they talking about? It's basically two people who have different objectives. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe they're fighting over a girl, you know, and one needs the girl for one reason to val- validate himself. Another is, uh, it could be totally well, different reasons. Like Die Hard. I yeah. love Oh, uh, fantastic, Willis. yes. Love, no, I don't love the movies. Uh-huh. I love Bruce Willis. I mm-hmm. think he's an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. So when he got in that genre... The action genre. I was like, "What is he doing?" Mm-hmm. Well, he is so fun to watch, and that's what happens in a good action movie. The lead character, the actor, is so fun to watch right. that you watch them go through whatever they go through. Sure, but I think of Indiana Jones. I mean, uh, same thing. Yeah, same yeah. thing. Well, and that's good writer and good director mm-hmm. also because they understand that's what makes us mm-hmm. get hooked in. Right. But um, the piece I wanted to throw in on this is uh, the Bechtel test. Mm-hmm. Um, Alison Bechtel, who wrote Fun Home, but she, before that, for decades before that, had a comic strip, Dykes to Watch Out For. Hmm. And in the course of that script, at some point, a character came up with this test. You know, she was being a political lesbian. Mm-hmm. She didn't go to movies unless they passed the Bechtel test. Oh, it has I think to be I'm two female, this. significant female characters yes, yes. who talk to each other yes. about something other than and a male then, character. Exactly, exactly. And so few movies pass that test. Well, I would say the same thing when I teach Shakespeare and I ask the kids for the category of Shakespeare, and just for all of you who don't know. They're the histories, comedies, tragedies, and what we call the romances. Another better label is the problem plays. Mm-hmm. Because a play that ends with your best friend almost raping the woman that you love, mm-hmm. we have trouble with that in contemporary audiences. Apparently, in Shakespeare's time, that was funny, but we don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the one where the man beats down the woman, um, Taming of the Shrew. Sure. Beats her down until she finally is submissive. Hmm. Um, even though she's got an amazing, intelligent, wonderful, powerful speech at the yeah. end, we still we cringe a yeah. little bit. I think of Titus Andronicus. Their arms get chopped off. Her uh, arms get chopped off. Right? And her tongue, because mm-hmm. there, I guess, is, is it a biblical story? There's one where guys rape a woman mm-hmm. and they chopped her. Tongue, that's what it was. They chopped her tongue off in the original story. Shakespeare added in the chopped her hands off because in the original story they chopped her tongue off. Yeah. And she wove into something a message telling what had happened to her. Oh. So in the Titus Andronicus version, they yeah. chopped her hands off too so she can't read. Oh, goodness. But when yeah. I talk to kids about that, I'm like, yes, you, you know, there is no action genre, not in Shakespeare's time. Mm-hmm. Um, that genre has developed. 
and it's a very single-minded follow the hero. It really is a precursor to video games. Mm-hmm. You follow the main character through the storyline, and can he get his? Uh, can he achieve his objective or not? Right. And usually he will. It's just a figure out mentioning of, of how how it's done. Right. You know, it makes me think about not that we you know we usually talk about theater, but in movies, um, everyone. So May the Fourth was May the Fourth be with you, Star Wars. Right. Right. <laughs> and. You know, everyone talks about how the best Star Wars movie is The Empire Strikes Back, the second one, I guess, oh. episode five, because it's tragic. Everyone talks about how dark it is mm-hmm. because Luke finds out, oh, my God, Vader is my dad. That's the second one. Okay. I believe oh, that's, that's right. One. No, you did. Yeah, that part is. Yeah. I, I, my favorite is the first, but I only saw it. I I, yeah, I, yeah, I like the first as well, and I have my own personal reasons for liking the first. Um, but it's interesting because... Lucas seems not to understand, and it really, it's his own baby, mm-hmm. but he doesn't seem to, because all of the other movies lack the darkness. Right. And everyone craps on all the other movies, like, right. oh my God, you know, we have to sit through this, and right. it's like... And it's more special effects, and what can you do with special Right, effects? CGI, and Jar Jar Binks, right. and yeah. everything for the kids, and all that stuff, and it's amazing that the person who created Star Wars doesn't realize why everyone likes it. Why everyone, you know, gravitates well, toward? Yeah, he's pulling off of. I mean, because we were too young. Mm-hmm. The cereal when the cereal when the Saturday morning cereal when kids ran to the movie theater mm-hmm. to spend their nickel or whatever yeah. to see the latest Tom Mix or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Superman. Superman mm-hmm. was one. There's a whole series of Superman yeah. movies from that era. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, if you're smart, you have to make the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. You've got to get the character in trouble, but you also have to give the audience a satisfying resolution of some small storyline that keeps them coming back. Mm-hmm. They right. got some. They, that was good when the bad guy got beat up. That was good. Yeah. But then they have to go find Lois Lane or whatever. You know, they have to continue. Right. The story has to continue. Yeah. And that's what he was. That's what he was aiming for. Yeah. It just seems a little. The it. it I think it seems a little dated. I mean, if it's if it's too melodramatic, if there's not enough conflict, not enough tragedy, like I think about Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. I had all sorts of thoughts that, you know, how it would, would resolve and right. how he would become dark and all of that sort of stuff, and I didn't see any of that at all. Well, the fan fiction mm-hmm. sounds like if, if it's a genre that you get really attached to, it sounds like the fan fiction is the place to go because that right. is where yeah. people go, this is an intelligent moving forward, not just worried about the next product placement, mm-hmm. not just worried about set, selling the next set of right. toys. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, but yeah it's, a, it's a different <laughs> But you didn't say, what, what about you? What's, how's your week been? Week was fine. I, I, uh, had, uh, I went to the dentist on Wednesday. That's oh. always fun. <laughs> and, Sunday or two. <laughs> Dentist, da, 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 da. what's that? Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they took care of uh, Dad, and I just needed a filling done, and I've got to go back on Monday. So that was that. Uh, I'm in rehearsals for um, right. the chain, yes. which is part of. I actually have the information now. It's Musical Cafe. Um, it is May the twentieth, the twenty second, and the twenty third uh, at the um, the Ashby, and so uh, and there'll actually be three. Beginning musicals, um, there'll be no four. Adulting for Beginners, book, lyrics, and music by Jennifer Hinkle, 
There's Backslide, books, lyrics, and musical by Richard Jennings. The Chain, which I'm in. Books and lyric, book and lyric by Allison Luderman. Music by Lauren Lennon. And uh, I guess they're doing a musical Pygmalion. Book and lyrics by Katie Tandy. Obviously, it's a, who is it, George Bernard Shaw? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so it's an adaptation of that. Music by Katie Tandy, Jeff Carter, and Jeff Larson. And uh, so, yeah, so if you go to um, musicalcafe.org, then you can um, buy tickets. They have uh, brown paper tickets and all that stuff. Let's, let's tag it again at the end, too. Exactly. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. So, yeah, so I had a rehearsal on uh, Sunday regarding that, and I've got a couple more to go to. And a funny thing happened during the rehearsal. So, you know, you, you know how it is when you have to, like, get off book. And right. it's the first, it's like your first time putting the book down right. and actually just doing it. And I love, I have a, a scene partner, and she's a beautiful woman, lovely woman, and, um, but... So I'm, I'm doing it, and it's the first time me doing it off book. And I've got my lines down, and maybe I'm, like, finagling things. And, of course, I've got my beats in my head. I haven't right. worked with the director. As, you know how it is when you first do it off book, and then th- there's a back and forth between the director and the actor. Sure. Because the director's like, okay, yeah, I see where you're going. Right, exactly. I know where you're going at, but here's where I want you to go. Right. And, and that's a natural thing. So my scene partner chimes in. It's like, well, yeah, you should do it this way, or you should whatever. Oh, and to you? Yeah, to me. Oh. And I had to watch myself. I'm like, okay, she's not. She's not an actress. This is not something that she does every sure. all the time. Right. So I bit my tongue and I said, okay, I'm not going to say anything or whatever because I know I need to work on. It. Basically, it's just beats. That's one of the things I think as we do podcasts mm-hmm. um, is. I think we're going to keep carving out what is and isn't professionalism. Right. That is professionalism. Mm-hmm. To let somebody try to tell you what you're supposed to be doing <laughs> right. and not go off on them and not react. And, mm-hmm. and sincerely let them have their say. Right. And then find a way to get back on track. Stay on track. Don't, don't get mm-hmm. derailed exactly. by whatever they're bringing to the mix. Yeah. And I remind myself, the rehearsal process is like a workshop. Yeah. It's it's like you're throwing out what works, you find out what doesn't work, and right. it's just back and forth. And all she was really doing was she basically, as an audience member, she's seeing what an audience member would see. Sure. So there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a right and a wrong time for well, doing it. Well, but, but it is uh, it's etiquette in theater mm-hmm. that we don't, that I do not tell my fellow actor what they should or shouldn't do. Exactly. Um, and, of course, what I loved was learning, part of professionalism, mm-hmm. was learning to make a question. When that moment happens, mm-hmm. um, is that about this? And if you agree with me, I say, oh, okay, because it feels like this is happening to me. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to suggest is that you shift it a little bit. Right. But I don't say that. I just say that, you know, I kind of lay out as a question mm-hmm. where it feels right to me. Mm-hmm. And is that what your understanding is, or yeah. is your understanding different? Can you let me know your understanding, because I'm not on the same page sure. with you, and I want to be sure. And I don't mind a director, and really, this has to be between the director and the actor. It should be, most appropriately, most, <laughs> exactly. you know, in the hierarchy of theater, exactly. it's the director's And job. the director can simply say, you went there, why did you go there? Right. Just, just say why, and I'll explain to you where I'm going at, and, you, and the director, and... 
but there's always that back and forth. Right. I never, I'm sure when I was younger, I was like, oh, my God, he or she doesn't like what I'm doing. Ugh. But then I had to realize, no, 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 no. It's like molding a clay. It's like right. molding. Right, they do like what you're doing, but, mm-hmm. yeah, they want to they give it a better shape than yeah. you're giving it. And, of course, the director knows the art of the entire play and, and will it has that in mind where you, the actor, is just focusing on your thing. So, so yeah, so that's uh, what I um, was went through. That's been and, big week. Yeah, that's been my big week. Uh, really, nothing, nothing big is uh, going on. I have an audition. Um, oh, that's this. I think it's the day before. So basically, I think I think I mentioned it before. Um, the oh, my mind is going blank again. Uh, Christmas, uh, Civil War Christmas. Oh, that right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But I'm trying to think of uh, the where is Susan Evans? Uh, where is she? Town Hall. Is that the, ta- the Town Hall? So I've got an uh, audition for that. If you don't up. know anything about and part of you. Another thing that you will get in these podcasts is little tidbits of Bay Area history. And this isn't really history. This is mm-hmm. kind of current. Lafayette yeah. um, is the place where they have – they were one of the communities that started putting up little white crosses. Because remember uh-huh. under uh-huh. – um, with the Iraqi war, um, yeah. George Bush said that you know we had to like have a media blackout yeah. on the number of deaths. Yeah. And that was one of the communities that said – we are going to honor our debts. And so when you drive by it on the freeway, mm-hmm. you see on this hillside all these little white crosses. Wow. And they're, by Bay Area standards, they're a fairly conservative community. Mm-hmm. But conservative also means old school. And old school, we acknowledge our dead. We yep. pay our respects yep, right. to our fallen soldiers. That's right. And that community said, no, you are not going to shut us up. And they put their crosses out there, and they're still up there. You can see them anytime you go on Very there. Nice. Highway 24. Yeah. So that that theater company yep. was a, a part of it. No, they're not a part of that, but they're in that community. Oh, I understand. So I, I'm I saying they're saying. Well, and that's the other thing. As we talk about Bay Area theater, mm-hmm. hopefully we can help illuminate the map a mm-hmm. little bit of what else is going on. Because yeah. everybody knows San Francisco, but I I once got a show that got taken to San Francisco uh, to San Francisco to New York. Mm-hmm. We nice. got to do a new show. It was a PS 122. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to go there. This is a space I've read about since I was a young man. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ooh, I, wow, I'm getting to be in, I'm doing an off-off-Broadway show. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. um, and I got in that space, mm-hmm. and it was worse than the magic. Mm-hmm. And the magic's not a horrible space, but it's definitely, the magic built up off of the concept of the black box. Yeah. So it's really just a space that allows you to, Bring an audience in and have enough space to create whatever you need to create in your play. Mm-hmm. But the dressing rooms will be like under some, you know, you're looking at the yeah. structure of the booth that's right. above you. Yeah. Um, there may not be a bathroom anywhere near you. You may have to go out and use a bathroom with the audience. Mm-hmm. That kind of a space where they just squeeze the performance space into some sure. place. Sure. And that's what that is. But it's worse than the magic. Oh, God. And, uh, and I say worse because... One of the things that magic has are these pillars mm-hmm. that end up in your playing space sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they're pillars. You have to make sense of them. The play didn't say anything about these pillars, but there you are dealing with it. Yeah. And PS122 has worse pillars. Hmm. They're way more in the space. You have to deal with them. <laughs> yeah. So I'm there and I'm like, wow, there are better spaces in the Bay Area yeah. than this. That's right. And so I want to honor those spaces. Town Hall is a gorgeous space. They have a gorgeous theater, mm-hmm. and they're so close 
to the inner Bay Area mm-hmm. that um, they get a lot of talent. And, and the folks that are directing want to do some strong, powerful shows. Yeah. So this is the kind of place where – and that educated, cultured class that doesn't live in San Francisco or Berkeley or Oakland mm-hmm. and doesn't want to come through the tunnel. Yeah. They're supporting theaters like that out there. So definitely want to get that shout out that cool. the Town Hall Theater is a place that does something worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I would love to uh, to work in, work in there and uh, see what's going on. So that's fantastic. So that's basically what I'll be doing. Um, you, you mentioned the pole. I remember, did you ever work in the, uh, the Phoenix Theater? Uh, the old Phoenix Theater. The Phoenix Theater now is on Mason Street. Um, right. Um, but at a time, just off of Geary, yeah. It, yeah, but it used to be off Geary. It used to be on Geary, and there was a poll right. <laughs> that every company had to work with and deal with. Like, oh my God, how are we going to incorporate this thing? Mm-hmm. And of course, no audience member wanted to sit in front of the poll. Right. So yeah, so I remember those days. Um, there, there are tons of spaces like that. Yeah. And inventive people come up with ways to make that work. Sure. I did in a space, the tiniest space I think I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did King Lear. Yeah. Which is funny because King Lear is a big play. Yeah. And um, specifically the um, the mm-hmm. the speech where he's, you know, in the storm and, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's a big speech. Yeah. It's usually done. He's supposed to be raging in a storm. Uh-huh. And we did it in this tiny space where you were almost – there were times when you could reach out and touch an audience member's <laughs> knee. They yeah. were that close to yeah. you. Um, lots of times. And um, and so there was a pillar in there, yeah. and they decided that the way that scene was going to work was he stumbled across a little tiny playing space yeah. to that pillar and grabbed onto it. It was a skinny pillar, so you could wrap ah. his arms around it, and he held onto it like it was a tree, and he was holding it in the storm, uh-huh. but he was also spent. He was past the point of raging. Uh-huh. He was basically sort of begging for his life. Uh-huh. And so he was just like, ah, ah, ah. That's, uh, and what was part, cool about it was yeah. they had the fool yeah. come in and take a little stool yeah. and step up on a stool uh-huh. with a watering can yeah. and pour the watering <laughs> can on him. So that created the storm. That was the yeah. way they created the storm. Nice. And again, the audience was so close that whoever was sitting near that pillar was probably getting wet off of the splatter yeah. from that. Yeah. It was twisted. Very, so Bay yeah. Area Theater, I love Bay Area Theater and I love the mm-hmm. expanse of Bay Area. Yeah. I definitely want to credit these places with doing the work that they do. Yeah. You had mentioned, uh, you were talking about the history of theater. You you came from a, um, a party that, uh, that yeah. represented Julian's history. 70th birthday party, Julia Lopez Maria. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. I've heard that name for over two decades. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he is legend in the Shakespeare community. And, um, and he's amazing. He's fantastic. And he was our Willie in Death of a Salesman. Mm-hmm. And so I finally got to work with this man. I've known him for all this time, known about him, seen him in many shows, and enjoyed him. He was having a little birthday party. Well, he lives in, you know, one of the farther reaches of the Bay Area where there's sun and heat. And he's got a gorgeous backyard. Mm-hmm. So last weekend was a party. And I was amazed at the number – and I – I'm going to look. I actually took notes because I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anybody who I wanted to miss. At the same time, because I don't want to miss anybody, I'm not going to mention mm-hmm. most of these names. 
but I met folks. Um, the the like category of the Bay Area actors. <laughs> actors who've been in the Bay Area for three decades or more. Actors who've been in the Bay Area, some of them since the 70s. Wow. Um, it was an incredible collection of people. Mm-hmm. The stories you heard. And people who have been in positions of power who have watched organizations grow. So I started labeling these folks the Berkeley Mafia. Mm-hmm. And my joke was, it's because they know where the bury- bodies are buried. Mm-hmm. And I met somebody. That I didn't meet her. I know, I've known her for I've known her for decades. Um, but I didn't know how long her reach was in this community. She's like, yeah, I, I buried a lot of those bodies. <laughs> um, and so it was just an amazing collection mm-hmm. of people with amazing stories. And it did two things for me. One, I, as a young actor, we all are told you got to go to Hollywood, you got to go to New York. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, there are regional theaters across America, and those regional theaters, like New York, was in danger a couple of decades ago. New York was in danger of becoming irrelevant, and they started picking up the shows from the regional theaters, and they started doing revivals. Mm-hmm. That was almost three decades. I was probably about three decades ago mm-hmm. when they started to make that part of the what they did, the canon of Broadway. Mm-hmm. They started bringing shows back, but they also started reaching out to the popular shows from the regional theaters. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, as a young actor, I kind of looked at that and said, so am I going to move to New York, live in a closet, get three jobs, and still try to find time to build my career as an actor? Do I really need to do that? When I heard that New York was picking up these shows from across the country, I said, well, wait a minute. Well, who are they picking up shows from? So they're picking up shows from Cincinnati, from Chicago, from Dallas, Mm -hmm. from... Um, Atlanta, mm-hmm. from not so much from LA, some from San Francisco. Back in the day, they were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we have Tony Award-winning organizations here in the Bay Area. Yeah. So I was like, well, wait a minute, maybe I can put some roots down here. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to put those roots down, one, you have to manage your career, and you have to do that. And mm-hmm. you know, there are any number of ways that you can do that successfully. Um, and there are any number of ways that you can – way more number of ways that you can do that, exponentially more numbers of ways that you can mess that up. Yeah. But however you're doing it, you need to have some kind of root, something that keeps you grounded. And that's what this party was for me, was seeing people who I've known, many of them for decades, seeing them relaxing and having a good time, sharing fond memories, talking about silly situations – you know, we rode in a van across country to do this show, <laughs> wow. those sorts of stories. Yeah. It was amazing. At the same time, younger people, young woman was just coming from a show she had done in San Jose. She's in the show at San Jose stage. And, uh, see, I did take notes, but I didn't go home and do my homework. I meant to go and look that up so I could say it. But I know mm-hmm. Tony Kelly directed it. Mm-hmm. Um, he of Thick Description, he of the Bay, San Francisco theater scene. Um, directed the show that's at the San Jose stage right now. Mm-hmm. And this young woman is in the show, and she came with her fellow. Mm-hmm. And she knows Julian and was happy to be a part of it and happy to, to be there. And I was like, this is the way this works. I want to see those old generations. I want to see the young generations. That's right. I want to see the people who are still doing it. Those mm-hmm. people give me hope. But I also want to see the people who have found another path and they found their sanity and their joy, and it may not include theater anymore. 
they may just be a spectator. They may just be audience mm-hmm. now. But they've taken what they've learned through these experiences, and they've taken them out in the world. And so, yeah, sitting in the sun and eating chicken and, mm-hmm. and you know, links. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was wonderful. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. No, it, was, it was a great party. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one other thing that I did last week, and that was I went to a reading. Okay. And that's another it's another group of folks, some of them over 70, um, and they um, have a – it's the Playwrights Lab, I believe is what they're called. Okay. And they are now located in Mill Valley. Um, and some of these folks were the folks who actually started this San Francisco Playwrights Festival. They were mm. part of that. Okay. Um, but as that – the focus of that organization became more national and even international, they were like, we want it. We started out trying to help the local scene. And they wanted to stick to that mission. Mm-hmm. So now they do readings at the Mill Valley Library. And oh, I went okay. to see one. Yeah. And um, did I write down what it was? No, of course I didn't. Nah. Um, Is it an original piece or? It was an original piece. It's called Apocalypse Now or Maybe Later. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. And, um, oh gosh, her name is. Uh, I should know this. I think it's Lynn. Oh my gosh. How, how long is it? I mean, was it. It was a full length. It was a full length, but no intermission. Oh, okay. Um, and it was a wonderful play that pays, kind of pays homage to mm-hmm. San Francisco and the history of San Francisco. Yeah. At the same time, kind of dealing with the gentrification and specifically in the tenderloin mm. and a wacky sort of. Yeah. It it was it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was twisted, and for me, another part of this sort of. What I need to do is not worry about my next audition and my next play. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put energy into those things. I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. What I have learned in my career is I still got energy to have a real life. I can actually wash dishes or eat breakfast at home before I go off to rehearsal. Mm-hmm. I don't have to run out the door and wait for a break to go grab something from the corner store. Right. I can have a normal life. I can go out and look at my garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and right. exactly right. And people remember you. Mm-hmm. And so I went to this reading, and I'm looking on stage, and I knew, I think there were maybe seven actors. I knew like five or six of them. Okay. So, and what was funny is on my way there, I stopped at a cafe in Mill mm-hmm. Valley. Yeah. And there was another actor I've known since uh, high school, since college, mm-hmm. uh, Craig Niebuyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was sitting there reading over some script, and I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. And I said, are you in the reading? And he said, no, I'm actually going to another gig. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we stopped and we visited for a moment. Uh-huh. And that just made me feel, so I wasn't just a spectator. Yeah. I wasn't just coming out to see a reading. I was coming out, I was coming out specifically because Richard Talavera had ah. last minute been asked to step in mm-hmm. to play this character, very specific okay. character yeah. in the Tenderloin. Yeah. And, um, I was coming to see that, but suddenly I'm looking up on stage and they're all, uh, Brad, um, I don't want to say Brad, I think Brad Rubenstein, no, no, Brad, 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 oh my God, executive director of TVA, um, not, um, not Albright, not Dale Albright, no, not Dale Albright, I, I, Brad, I apologize, I remember your name, okay, um, I just think of him as Brad, Erickson, <laughs> okay, got it. Um, and he's a playwright, mm-hmm. but he also knows the playwright, so he was in to 
play a role, but he is, you know, they've done, mm-hmm. he's in a group with her, and so they've done scenes, mm-hmm. they've read scenes in yeah. group. Yeah. And he's familiar with the character, and she's like, no, I can't imagine anybody else doing this. And so he came and he did it. Yeah. And I forgot that, I don't think of him as an actor. I think of him, number one, as a playwright, but mm-hmm. I think of him also as the guy who, he's, He's really our political agent in mm-hmm. Bay Area theater. He is the guy. He is the face of oh, political ad- advocacy in Bay Area theater. Okay, that is Brad. And does so he do the ne- does he do the negotiations between? He does some, but he's like when things are going up to Sacramento. Yeah, he's part of that. He's on. You know, he's in groups and committees and talks about things. Mm. He always is quick to try to put a message out on behalf of Bay Area Theater about mm-hmm. stuff, like mm-hmm. when the threat to the NEA happened. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, he does that stuff. So I think of him, I see his activism. Yeah. And I love seeing that. And I see stuff that says, you know, when he's got a reading or he's working on a play mm-hmm. and that sort of thing is happening. I don't remember that he's an actor. As we get older and we don't get asked as much to exercise that muscle, yeah. people forget yeah. that we do it. So yeah. it was a joy to watch him, and he was so masterful. <laughs> it was so fun. Oh, nice. It reminds me of uh, Dale Albright, because um, you don't think of him, I don't think of him, didn't think of him as an actor until I was on stage with him for The Skin of Our Teeth. Mm. And uh, so that was nice, and he did a fantastic job. Fantastic job. Yeah. Um, do we do want to do any um, either shout outs or um, where were they now? I don't have a where were they are where were they now this week. So. But I do have a, a shout out. A wonderful black actor who had a birthday on May the second, George Coker. Um, he is he's been all over I, I remember acting with him uh, in Bendelstiff. We did Stories mm-hmm. High, I believe Stories High Seven at Bendelstiff. It's a Filipino company in uh, San Francisco. And um, and George's doing all sorts of fantastic stuff. He's actually in a commercial now for Uber, so he's doing fantastic. I didn't um, even know Uber had commercials. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it was a print ad. I think it was a, oh, okay. a web, web-based thing. Getting paid. That's right, getting paid. So it's it, that's fantastic. I'm always glad to see young actors, especially a mm-hmm. um, young black man. Um, right. He's, he's doing fantastic stuff. So that's yeah, my shout-out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, like I said, this week, so this this is a chance to say, hey, you know, mm-hmm. we are happy to have people kind of tap us and say, I got this going on, or, you know, this is coming up, because we, we want to honor mm-hmm. um, what's, and we'll get to it coming up, so we'll, we'll get to that. I, yeah. I definitely got one for that. Um, but um, the other thing, oh, I just lost it. What was it? Oh, <laughs> Mother's Day. That's <laughs> right. Mother's Day is coming Mother's up. Mother's Day is coming up, so... Mm-hmm. I thought it would be nice to talk this week. We talked a little bit last week, but to talk about our experiences mm-hmm. um, with how our mothers interacted with or didn't interact with our introduction and our life in theater. You know what's interesting? Um, a lot of people say I get my personality from my dad. You know, like mm-hmm. a dad was very much a. Um, a Bill Cosby-like character, you know, he's the uh, youngest of, uh, of eight kids, so there were a lot of kids, you know, in, mm-hmm. when he was growing up. And so um, so I adopted a lot of that. But I think my, the seriousness and also, you know, when we, when we grab onto, like, um, I don't do a lot of comedy. Um, mm-hmm. I do very, very little comedy. I'm interested in more 
the dramatic stuff. And when people see me on stage, I think they focus on, you know, the seriousness and how focused is he, he is on uh, beats and just um, being very, very grounded. I think I get a lot of that from my mom because mm-hmm. my mom, mm-hmm. with most, I guess, typical families, you know, you have the, the father who is very happy-go-lucky, but, you know, if things go awry or whatever, it's like, well, w- whatever. But mom is the one who really holds things down. He, she makes sure the bills are paid mm-hmm. and that things are cleaned up. Hey, you need, you need to focus. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I carry a lot of that when I'm on stage and also when I do tech stuff, like mm-hmm. uh, stage managing. I feel like I am the sort of mother that's taking care of everything. Mm-hmm. And even as an actor, I'm always saying, okay, what else? What else do I need to do? What right. else do I need to focus on? It's like my mind never, never stops or relaxes. And I think that frenetic energy, which serves me very well, I get from mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mom is, is a woman both my biological mom who passed away and also my second mom who is alive and well and doing well in Virginia. As a matter of fact, I um, sent her flowers and uh, some chocolates, so mm-hmm. I, I, I knocked that out. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you appreciate an actor who is, is folks who's on top of everything, who sort of, you, you talk about career, like mm-hmm. managing your career. Right. When we have a day job, we have bosses who tells you, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that, who will tell you what's right or what's wrong. But as an actor, you're in control of your own career. Right. So you have to manage everything. You have to keep your schedule, and you have to stay on top of all of that stuff. And I, that's one thing that I get from Mom, just uh, the, the administrative side of, uh, you know, I, I have my acting, sort of my, uh, that part of the brain mm-hmm. that focuses on just um, being silly or being... Um, Artistic, mm-hmm. but there's a there's an administrative side of me that focuses on what needs to be done. And as an actor, you, you need that as well to knock out um, just blocking and, and this and that, and just arranging your your career. To do more than I uh, I worked with a younger actor a couple of years ago, I guess, mm-hmm. and um, and he had a large role in this show, and he didn't have a lot of skill you know, a lot of experience on stage. Mm-hmm. And so he kept coming to me and saying, like, I had, I think I actually was in one scene, mm-hmm. but I needed to be a high-status character. I needed to come in, dominate that scene. You know, it was an important part of the way the story moved forward. Mm-hmm. And so from day one, I came in doing that, and so he was always impressed with that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude. And what he, I could see what he was doing was, the story meant a lot to him. The character meant a lot to him. And he mm-hmm. was putting his heart and soul in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what he was feeding on. Yeah. And I'm like, well, there's a whole system and structure that you could use that will allow you to have all those feelings and express all those emotions, mm-hmm. but will also keep you sane and, and keep you more consistent. Mm-hmm. And he didn't seem to understand that at all. He just wanted to blow it all out every time he Interesting. did Interesting. You know, I, my, uh, I mentioned uh, one of my acting teachers, Fred Lee, who passed away. And he focused on the action. What are you doing on stage? Like, he'll have an, he'll have an acting assignment. He'll say, listen, I've got two pieces of bread. I've got, you know, um, I don't know, it could be peanut butter and jelly roll or, or a sandwich. Or make a sandwich when you do the scene. Right. Or prepare a dinner. Do something. Clean, clean the um, the carpet. Right. Just do something while you're doing the scene, so that you're not just focusing on okay, where's my next cue or okay, right. here's where I'm going to emote. 
right. But you're doing something just like in real life. You're doing something, and then you will break out of what you're doing when it feels like you're absolutely necessary. We have to just right. stop everything. But it happens authentically. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. It, it, it was just funny because I could see him trying to bring all this energy to the bright moments of the, of the scene or of mm-hmm. the show. Right. And we all we learn to identify those, and we know we need to aim for those marks. But, mm-hmm. right, if you don't do that other work, that sort of scaffolding, that structural work, mm-hmm. then – that night that you got it all going on, that's great. But the night where you don't, if you've got that scaffolding, then you kind of go up the ladder and you build to it. Exactly. And then you can jump to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And without that, mm-hmm. you nothing worse than watching an actor on stage building up for a whole scene to the moment they're going to rage or the moment they're going to cry. Mm-hmm. But they start doing that from the beginning of the scene. Right. If they were instead just having a life mm-hmm. and authentically having a life. Exactly. Then and allowing something to affect them to mm-hmm. pop that other. So you still, you create a structure mm-hmm. so that you can get yourself in the right place so that you are ready. Mm-hmm. I, I do it with these young actors I'm working with. I'm like, so that one line when you turn and you lean in towards somebody, mm-hmm. the line before that, you need to know that you're someplace else so that you can turn, mm-hmm. so that that turn means something. Right. Because it's in... If I'm doing something and someone prevents me from doing it, that's going to create an emotional reaction for me. I mean, whatever the the beat or the what. Sometimes you have an objective. Sometimes you make your objective, but sometimes it gets interesting when you can't because other yeah. things are in the way. And it's in the I'm getting, I'm going somewhere. I'm got to do something. It could be as simple as me. Oh, I'm late. I got to go to. I got to get to work. And all of a sudden, I don't know. The bar breaks down, or right. somebody's in my face. Hey, how are you doing? You're in my way. Right. All of a sudden, there's something emotional happening, but I'm not focusing on, okay, this is where I'm going to get angry. Right. It's I'm doing other things, and uh, somebody else has an objective, which is in my way. Mm -hmm. That's the struggle, and that's the authentic thing that you see on stage. It's 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 hopefully the thing that you get to find in rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Paint yourself into a corner. That, you know, that deadly thing in painting. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to walk across the wet paint. How horrible. <laughs> right. But it always makes me think of that cartoon where the character paints himself into a corner, uh-huh. doesn't know what to do, has that moment of looking around, doesn't know what to do, knows he's trapped, mm-hmm. and then paints the door and walks through the door. Oh, yeah. And if we get ourselves in trouble, if we're willing to get ourselves in trouble on stage, sometimes our scene partner saves us. Sometimes... Something else happens. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes in a movie is uh, Officer and a Gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Gere and... Uh, oh, oh I, can't, I can't remember. Deborah? Uh, no, not, not her. The um, uh, Gossett. Louis Gossett. Louis Gossett, of course. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where Louis Gossett is about to kick him out. So mm-hmm. he's putting him through hell to try and get him out. Yeah. And Richard Gere is doing whatever he tells him to do. Yeah. And he's on his... He's in the mud. He's been doing sit-ups and... He's been yelling at him and, you know, just saying every nasty thing he can about yeah, him. Yeah, And he says, that's it. You're out. And he turns to walk away. Louis Gossett does. And Richard Gere, from the ground, yells at him, no, no. And it's enough to stop mm-hmm. Gossett. And he turns around and looks at him. And you see Richard Gere in the space of, like, two to three seconds mm-hmm. go through about 
five emotions as he tries to find the right thing to do. And he finally can't find it. But he does the exploration. You see him reach for everything he can. Mm-hmm. And then he finally deflates and says, I got nowhere to go. And that moment just sucks you in. Yeah. And it sucks you in because you saw him mm-hmm. reach as hard as he could for everything he exactly, could. Exactly. To be willing to go to that place. Yeah. And that's where, if you're willing to get in trouble in rehearsal, mm-hmm. then your scene partner and your director can help you find a path out of it or right. help you not get so stuck if there's no way out of it. Right. But if you're willing to go there, you may find something you never knew. Exactly. You may find that door that you hated yeah. that got you out. Yeah, and those are the wonderful moments where you, you all of a sudden you're caught you're caught feeling an emotion that you didn't know that you had because something happened on stage that yeah. you weren't expecting or you were doing something and all of a sudden something happened. Those are the wonderful moments. Uh, the um, Death of a Salesman, the, uh, that last scene with Willie, mm-hmm. or Charlie and Willie. Mm-hmm. Willie comes to Charlie's office mm-hmm. to borrow money, which he's been doing for weeks. Um, and we say borrow, but there's no clear indication that Charlie is getting paid back. Right. So when he shows up, Charlie is not particularly happy about it. There's not a lot in the text to give you this information. But if you look at the circumstances of the play... It's pretty clear. This is an awkward, weird moment. And finally, because I can't get Willie to make any sense, I give him the money and I say, I, here's the money. I got an accountant waiting for me and I can walk out. So my intention is to get the hell out of there. And he says, Charlie, I need more money. Hmm. And what's great is if I have the intention of, I tried to make sense. You're not making sense. I'm just giving you money and getting rid of you. And you suddenly tell me you need more money from me. Yeah, there's a whole range of emotions I get to go through in that moment. <laughs> right. Oh, oh hell yeah. no. What? Right. <laughs> Who the fuck? What the? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Really? Mm-hmm. We've gotten here? Yeah. And I have to make the decision to give him more money. <laughs> yeah. So because he talks for a moment. Mm-hmm. I get to allow myself to go wherever my emotions take me on a particular performance. And and the trick is, you know that scene is, you know that moment is coming up. So you can't, you know, you you have to to sort of tell yourself, I I can't focus on the fact that he's going to ask me for more money. Right. I have to focus on, you're making no sense, I'm out of here. Right. So that that next statement, however it hits me, and every night it hit me a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I give him more money. I try to walk out, and he stops me again and says, you're the only friend I've got. Mm. He says, isn't it funny? That's what stops me. Because I stop with, oh, now what? Really? Mm-hmm. Just let me go. Yeah. Why are you bothering me? Yeah. And he says, you're the only friend I've got. And then he walks out. Mm. And I'm left feeling embarrassed. The more I'm frustrated and mad at him at the yeah. situation he's put me in, yeah. the more that when he walks out, I'm just like, now I feel like, you know, two inches tall. Because obviously I, he's desperate. I mean, this is, the, he's, he's, yeah. he's on his, he's, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the bottom. He's about to kill himself. And yeah. I don't know that. But what I do know is this man has never been this bad before. Right. And I get to honestly respond to that. Mm-hmm. Such a joy. Yeah. And that's that's a wonderful thing. I mean, 
you 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 so you give him money so that's one beat and then right. he's like oh no I need more money and, and then there's like oh, boom that's right. another big thing mm-hmm. and then right at, then there's another thing where right. he's basically you're the only friend I've got right and so there's like three yeah, major things that you're hap- that's happening right now mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's a fantastic thing but getting back to mothers so how's how does your, how did your mom influence you as an actor well, it's funny um, so my mother became a single mom when I was like seven I guess um, and you know she was already kind of in charge of my world that's what mothers are right mm-hmm. um but when your mom is going out and working and coming home, mm-hmm. that moment of coming home is a big show. It's a big to-do. And whatever mood she's in, she's in a good mood because things went well. She's in a good mood because she stopped by the store and picked up the things she wanted mm-hmm. for the family. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, whatever mood she comes in, that, mm-hmm. that affects us. Mm-hmm. And it becomes very focused on that. Yeah. So what's funny to me is I don't feel a direct connection between my theater and my mother. I feel like at a certain point, we moved to California. Mm-hmm. And when I was nine, we moved to California. Mm-hmm. And as a single mother, she needed to sign us up for anything she could. So we started going to, there was a summer camp at the elementary school. Mm-hmm. And we went to that. And you could do all kinds of different things, finger painting and music and whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was a theater group. Mm-hmm. And I... Now, as a teaching artist, I really understand a lot more what that poor person was going through. Mm-hmm. That was very difficult. That was hard. Um, but we showed up because kids could show up any day and not show up any day. You know, their family decides they're going on vacation and the kid that you cast as the lead in this piece <laughs> is gone. Yeah. And so, but kids learn. You learn all the lines to the show. You mm-hmm. learn everything. You just mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. You're so excited about it. Yeah. Especially the more you understand when direction is being given, you might get it better than the kid who's supposed to be playing the role, mm-hmm. or you think you do. Mm-hmm. So those were my first experiences with theater. And then I went to middle school, and then we moved. And when I went to high school, I had been in band and in middle school, and I was like, I'm done with band. So I got to high school, I stepped into the theater department, and I started doing theater. Um, the things that my mother did that were really, one, just giving permission and supporting that, mm-hmm. I now understand how huge that is, because I see the other side of it. That kid who is doing it with no support mm-hmm. is a kid who is like, either really needs this, mm-hmm. and or is just really into it, and nobody else is getting it. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I knew that there were kids whose parents showed up and picked them up from every rehearsal, mm-hmm. came to every show, volunteered to do the parties and do, to, to contribute in any way they could. My folks just came and saw the shows. Yep. I yep. guess they occasionally contributed some stuff, but mostly it was they just came and saw the shows. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I remember thinking, well, they're not like those other parents who totally commit everything to this. Mm-hmm. But they at least show up. They were the kids whose parents never showed up or almost never showed up. Yeah. And so I just felt like, uh, and I took it for granted. As I became a young adult, I went into the Army straight out 
of high school mm-hmm. and ended up back in theater. When I left high school, I thought, well, theater's done. That was, a, that was you know, one of those childish things that I'm packing away. Mm-hmm. But I got bored really quickly, and there were, you know, all kinds of programs for off-duty hours, and I ended up back in theater. Mm-hmm. And my mother was, yay, that's great. You love that. Mm-hmm. And that she recognized that in me was really special. Oh, that's fantastic, yeah. And so then when I finally got out and I came back home, yeah, I knew I was going to take some theater classes because at that point I was paying for it. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I was going to take some theater classes, but I was also trying to get a general education. Mm-hmm. And I eventually ended up at CalArts, California Institute of the Arts. Mm-hmm. And again, felt like they totally supported me in doing that. Um, and then from there, I moved to the Bay Area. And they have come up and seen a bunch of my shows. I honestly do not even remember all the shows that they have come and seen. Um, they haven't seen everything, mm-hmm. not by a long shot. But they live now. They live in San Diego, mm-hmm. and during a lot of the time I've been living here, they lived in Mexico. Oh wow! For a good like 15, 16 years, they lived in Mexico. Hmm. But they would still manage to show up every you know two or three years yeah. and see a show. Yeah. That is so amazing to me, and. The thing that really drove it home mm-hmm. was talking to my brother about it mm-hmm. and saying that I recognize this now, how wonderful they've been. And my brother enthusiastically agreeing with me and pointing out that they didn't come to all his games. He played football. Mm-hmm. They didn't come to all his games. Mm-hmm. And I was really embarrassed at that moment because I was like, oh, well, here I am almost complaining about mm-hmm. the little bit of support I felt like they gave me. Mm-hmm. And they showed up for every one of my shows in high school. Oh, that's fantastic. So, yeah, you know, I I love that and I appreciate it. I feel like if I get anything from my mother, more than anything, I feel like I get um, a sense of expressiveness and intelligence. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was um, valued, really mm-hmm. valued. So one of the things that always surprises me is a couple of times in my dating life, I dated women where the word stupid was an issue, hmm. and I had to stop and go, well, what are you talking about? Well, don't call me stupid. They're like, I didn't call you stupid. Huh. I, I said something was stupid, but now I'm trying to understand why this is a problem. And digging underneath, what I found was these are people mm-hmm. who had been, their sense of intelligence had been challenged. Yeah, 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 you know, I, I've heard that from, from women, and um, that you know, don't don't challenge my intelligence, or oh, you think I'm just you know. Well, I grew up in a matriarchy. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, my grandmother, mm-hmm. my grandfather died before I was born. Yeah. So my grandmother on my mother's side, where we spent a lot of time, mm-hmm. that was that household was run by her, and my mother was a middle child of six. Mm-hmm. Um, the, all those adults, my grandmother was in charge. Yeah. And even on the other side, on my father's side, my grandmother was quietly in charge, you mm-hmm. know, the way traditionally women have been. Yeah. They run things, but they do it quietly mm-hmm. and demurely, and they make it sound like the man's in charge, but yeah. they're the ones making the decisions. Yeah, yeah. Um, intelligence was prized in, in my family. So mm-hmm. children who showed any intelligence were encouraged, and children who weren't were educated. Yeah. You know, we, and so I grew up with that. So the first time somebody accused me of calling me stupid, I was like, what are you talking I would never call anybody stupid. Well, it may be projection. If you don't know yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. But um, but I realized later in life that I got that from my mother. That 
there's just an assumption that you're intelligent and maybe you don't know something, so you're ignorant. Mm -hmm. That's not a loaded word in my world. That just means you don't know something. Do you want to know it? You can learn it. Mm -hmm. There's always something you can learn. So the it's happened, I, I guess I dodged it mostly, but I had at least yeah. a couple of girlfriends. Well, you don't, you don't deal with it with Mara, right? <laughs> Mara is not only wonderfully intelligent, but wonderfully confident about her intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other side of Mother's Day for me is now I'm in a place where when you get married to a woman who has a child, Mother's Day is now an annual thing. Mm -hmm. I could ignore Mother's Day, and I, and I should apologize for that. As a person growing up, Mother's Day was an optional thing with me and my mom. Mm -hmm. If I didn't want to do Mother's Day, I could just make a quick phone call and be done. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to do it, I could do the whole write her something up and send her something nice. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's every year, and it's every year at least until the boy is out of the house mm -hmm. because I want to model this behavior for him. Right. So and then he I, can take over. Well, I want him to make sure that he takes a moment on mm -hmm. that day mm -hmm. and appreciates his mother and his grandmother because she's local. So we spend Mother's Day with Grandma. Oh, great. And it's been fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I feel lucky that uh, the first time we went out for Mother's Day, I was actually able to impress her. Mm -hmm. So this is the first time she's took over this year. We spent a bunch of money last year on Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. She has said she knows where she wants to go. She made the reservation. Mm -hmm. And at some place, we took a walk in the Mar uh, Richmond Marina last year. Yeah. So she loved that. Mm -hmm. And I do too. I'm like, I don't want to yeah. just sit down and eat with you. I yeah. want to spend some time. And you were talking last week about this restaurant. Uh, the Was it a Thai restaurant that she loves going to? Maybe it wasn't a Thai restaurant, but... I, I, we love Champa Gardens. I was hoping to take her there, but yeah. she picked a place. So we're going to go to, we're going to go back to the place we went to in Richmond last year. Okay. Initially, we weren't able to get a reservation, but then I guess somebody canceled. We got mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. um, so it's called the Symbol. I think that's what it's called. Okay. And uh, and it's on the marina, so it's yeah. a beautiful walk. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to do that, and I'm like, that's great, and I want the boy mm -hmm. to see that, take mm -hmm. the time and appreciate. Absolutely. I should also, as you were talking, because not just, I, I have an aunt. Well, I, I had uh, four aunts, and of course, she's a mother as well. But uh -huh. I remember my aunt, Georgia, she was the one, she's an ordained minister. Um, it's, it's like I've got ministry all over my family. Uh -huh. My mother's an ordained minister, and uh, on both sides of the family, I have ordained uh, aunts who are ordained ministers. And Georgia Davis, um, she would be the one to take me to church uh -huh. where I got to do a lot of theater stuff because they would have these performances. And right. That was really my first time doing performances. She'd be like, oh, okay, little Reggie, I want you to go and, you know, you're going to recite the, the Bible verse yeah. and scriptures or whatever. But also, as far as a work ethic, there was a thing that she and another, she was also a teacher, created called Rent a Teen. And basically during like the wow. early 80s, she basically get these uh, students during the summertime to work for um, basically she would go around to the community and say, hey, listen, do you need a teenager to clean your house? Do you need a teenager to mow the lawn and all that stuff? And I think I was around 12, 13 at the time, and it gave all of us a sense of a work ethic. I think she got a grant from uh, the D.C. Uh, department uh, from from from. 
from um, the, the city of D.C. To, uh, to fund this thing. And it was like my first paycheck, and I was like, wow, you know, I'm working and, and all of that stuff. And it was a lot of hard work, but that was something that I really, really treasure um, from her, just mm-hmm. giving us and a lot of urban uh, inner-city kids the opportunity to work and develop a work ethic and also help the community. So I want to give a shout-out to my Aunt Georgia. And, uh, That's great. Yeah. I, I don't think you've actually talked about it. What your birth mother died? Yeah, she died. You know, she had – I don't mind talking about it. She had a lot of um, alcohol – she had some dependency problems. Okay. And she had a lot of um, issues uh, from her childhood. And it's one of those unfortunate things where people, um, they, they haven't – you know, in theater we talk about um, – I guess a resolution or an objective, like you have an objective to to get from one place to another. And um, it reminds me a lot of closure um, that we need in our lives. Some people are lucky enough to have closure in their lives, or some people are, are lucky enough to have enough structure that whatever issues or problems that we have in our lives is not so great that it just totally derails us. Um, and that's something that I really treasure for my second mom. You know, she's given me a lot of structure, really all of, all of the kids. I'm the oldest of four. Mm-hmm. Um, you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, oh, you too? Well, on my mother's side. Yeah. Older, actually, I guess on both sides. Um, mm-hmm. On my father's side, I have two brothers. I have two brothers on both sides mm-hmm. and a sister on each side. Oh, nice. And, uh, and then my father and my stepmom adopted. Yeah. So in any case... Mom never really had closure. It's, it's unfortunate. I think there were just certain things. And the thing about abuse, when you deal with abuse as a child, like you, and you, you, you know, you're teaching a bunch of young men from uh, uh, juvie. Right. And you'll deal with these in, uh, some kids who they've had some tragic thing happen when they were a child. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like a scratch record. Right. They can't complete the loop. They can't sure. find the closure to move past. Right. Uh, whatever happened uh, to them. And when you live in the ghetto, all sorts of things happen to the ghetto. I've heard so many ghetto well, stories. And they, and they have no awareness of anything beyond that. Exactly. So they tried to make their peace with it. Exactly. There was a case. I worked for the district attorney's office. There was a case um, that happened a couple of years ago. Basically, a man tried to kill his wife. Um, they were breaking up. They were both meth, a- meth addicts. And um, to make a long story short, um, the, the witness, basically the, the woman who survived this thing, mm-hmm. we, we finalized the case. He got convicted, and, you know, it was a wonderful story. Mm-hmm. But she kept on saying, and, you know, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. She couldn't get over it. Right. She didn't even find peace in the conviction. Right. Um, and it's sad. People go through that where they just can't see. They can't see beyond the pain that they're going through. Mm-hmm. And, unfortunately, that happened with mom and um, – I got the, uh, the phone call that you never want to get. Uh, you know, she was in D.C., mm-hmm. and uh, they said, guess what? We found the body. Uh, and How old were you? This was in 2006. So I was 37. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it wasn't um, – I'm very glad that it didn't happen when I was 25 or 20 because I wouldn't or, know how to deal 16. with it. Whatever, or 16 or whatever. So I was old enough to, you know, to deal with it and – I had to pay for the funeral and all of that stuff, and luckily the family was together. The one good thing about it was I told Mom, because she was living in Seattle, I was like, listen, why don't you go home and reunite with your family and find some closure? Mm-hmm. Maybe not closure within yourself, 
but see the people who love and care for you. Right. And she did that. Okay. So the last, the last um, Thanksgiving Christmas mm-hmm. that I spent with her was in 2005, and she was with family, and she was smiling, and she okay. was she was really really happy, and maybe she did find a little bit of closure there. So okay. that's that's a wonderful thing. So. Uh, on Mother's Day, of course, I celebrate my second mom, who's been so wonderful for me in my life. And I also want to celebrate when did, mom. When did she show up? She showed up. Um, my uh, my parents broke up. Um, biological parents broke up in 76. So I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And um, so dad, he was a uh, graphic artist. I think right. I may have told you that he, this is the days before computers, he basically had his light table and he would do calligraphy. Mm-hmm. And he would do, um, yeah, the the, the letter, yeah, newspaper. So one day he's calling up for newsletters, exactly, the days before the intranet. So he's calling up for a job interview, and here's this really sexy receptionist who has a sexy voice. And they get turned on to each other, and uh, he visits her, and that's how they met. Wow. And she found out, oh, wow, you also sing, too. And she was just totally into it, and they hooked up. Uh, unfortunately, they're not together anymore. You oh, know, they they okay. broke up, but they had a wonderful run. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a run from I think it was 1980 all the way up to uh, 96, oh, nice 16 okay. year run. And um, you know, when they were together uh, during the the wonderful moments, and I think the highlight of and the moment, you were becoming an adult, becoming an adult. And actually, the highlight was when I got into Duke Ellington School of the Arts when mm-hmm. I went in and did the monologue Walter Lee Younger, and I got to tell my folks, hey. I made it into Duke Ellington, and then four years later, I made it into NYU. Right. And it was like, wow, you know, it's just fantastic because Dad went through an awful lot with the breakup in 76 with my where my real mom. Mm-hmm. So my second mom came in at a time, just at the nick of time. I needed a mom. Right. She needed, you know, um, she family. Yeah, family, and uh, and Dad needed someone. So mm-hmm. they came right at the in the nick of time during the, the early 80s, and uh, it was a wonderful thing. So You make me think, um, I want to also acknowledge my stepmother, mm-hmm. um, Connie, um, and Seta. It's funny, because she, you know, when I met her, she was Connie. As she's gotten older, she prefers to be called Princeta. Okay. And, and it's a beautiful name. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, because for me, I was seven, mm-hmm. and... Um, and this is the guy that my dad married and has a family with. So, you know, I, I had mixed feelings about that. Yeah. Be generous. <laughs> um, and how old were you? Seven. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know when. No, they got married before that. But mm-hmm. I, so, there were a few years where yeah. I barely had any contact with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a house in Covina. They're still there. Okay. And um, I came out to visit mm-hmm. when I was seven years old. And. So that's when I met her. Mm-hmm. And as I look back on it, in the same way I look back on my stepfather and realize, wow, you, in this awkward situation, this is, these are the choices you made. Mm-hmm. And I was not aware of so many of these choices. Mm-hmm. Thank you for making these choices. Connie, in the same way, Kitsetta, in the same way, um, just made some really generous, loving choices. And... Uh, I felt loved and appreciated and respected from day one. Oh, right. And, Very good. And brought into her world mm-hmm. and, and given a place in her world. Yeah. And um, one of the moments.
once that I thought was really special was I did a school tour once mm -hmm. uh, with San Francisco Shakespeare Festival, mm -hmm. and we took Midsummer Night's Dream all over, mostly Northern California, mm -hmm. but they did two loops to L.A. Well, I only did the first loop, mm -hmm. and, um, and I made sure I told all the family I was coming, and it was like the Long Beach Library, someplace like that, mm -hmm. um, that we were doing the show. And Concetta came out to see it. And my dad didn't come. I don't know what happened, but my dad didn't come. And that really meant a lot to me mm -hmm. that she had made that effort mm -hmm. to come out. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't see my shows the way my mom and Paul saw my shows. They came out sometimes. They came out in high school. They came out often. Yeah. But um, I didn't have that expectation. Mm -hmm. And so that was wonderful. And then what's what was also just satisfying, I moved to the Bay Area. So at that point, I'm a young adult, but I'm, you know, headed in, into my 30s. Mm -hmm. And um, it changes the nature of that relationship. I'm an adult. I'm grown. So if I'm having a relationship with you, mm -hmm. it's no longer parent-child. Mm. It's I'm an adult. You're an adult. Now, yeah, you're my parent, but that only gives you so much. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. You can tell me what I can do at your house. That's yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so it's a different dynamic. And I would go down and visit, and I really appreciated that. They would come up and visit. Mm -hmm. And that was always, again, wonderful to see. It wasn't something I expected. Mm -hmm. um, I started to appreciate how she kind of became, I felt like she grew up. And you hear that often. Mm -hmm. Young people grow up and they say, my parents suddenly grew up. Yeah. But I really do feel like I saw her freed from the raising of children and working life and that. And sort of saying, this is what's important to me and this is what I want. Mm -hmm. I saw it in the way the house is decorated. Mm -hmm. I see it in so many ways where I feel like she's living the life she wants to be living. Yeah. And that that is expressed more mm -hmm. than it was before. Before she was making a home for a family and her husband. Right, yeah. And now she's making a home for that, but it also really reflects her more than it ever has. And that's been for at least two or three decades now. Yeah. And so I was first aware of that on that one trip where I went down and they came, she came and saw the show. Mm -hmm. That this is her house. This isn't my dad's house. Yeah. This is her house. Yeah. As much as, at least as much. Yeah. And it reflects her. Mm -hmm. And so to see your mother as a fully realized human being who has hopes and desires and mm -hmm. vision mm -hmm. and stuff they are tired of and stuff they don't want to do. Yeah. And are at an age where they can express all that. Mm -hmm. That was... That was useful to me. It, it really kind of educates me as somebody yeah. becoming older that you can still make those choices. You can still grow. It's an interesting transition. I remember um, I must have – I know it was after I came out of uh, college. I remember having lunch with my second mom, and I guess it was the first time we talked as adults. Mm -hmm. And there's a transition where you're not the child and they're right. the parents anymore. Now you're two adults, and sometimes you can almost re, not rediscover, but sort of discover a new side yeah. of, your, of your family. Yeah, something opens up. It's kind of it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one other mother I want to give a shout out to, and that's mm -hmm. Elizabeth Carter, who you both know and okay. worked with. Um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth got married. Uh, I think it was just the year before me, but maybe a couple years before me. Mm -hmm. And now they have a little boy. Oh, nice. Um, oh, and he 
coming up. Her birthday was just this week. Okay. Um, and his birthday's coming up next month. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's been a joy to watch that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's got two moms, and he's a happy little boy. Uh-huh. He's well-loved and well-nurtured. Yeah. And it's exciting to see the world that we live in where mm-hmm. this sort of thing, when I was a kid, if that sort of thing was happening, it was so in the DL, nobody was talking about it. Mm. Only the most close, intimate people knew. Yeah. And to see it out in the open like that is gorgeous. Elizabeth is going to be in, so this is sort of getting into what's coming up next. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth is going to be in uh, The Seagull. Nice. With, and I don't know the name of the company. I did not write that down, did I? No, I didn't. Ipsen. But it's going to be Zipson, right? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Chekhov. Chekhov, duh. Keep on getting the two of them mixed up. Well, okay, they're yeah. all, that's that era of modern theater. The yeah. birth of modern theater is Chekhov, Ibsen, and Strindberg. Right, yeah. And at least that's the way I was learning. Yeah. Um, anyway, she's playing um, Trigorin, I think. She's, um, um, it's a wonderful role for her. It's mm-hmm. not traditionally a woman, so it's going to be exciting to see. Nice, and nice. it's going to be here in Oakland at the, I think they're calling it now the Omni Commons. Okay. Way back in the day, it was a nightclub that played live music called mm-hmm. the Omni. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just off of 48 and um, Shattuck. Oh, okay, yeah. It, I know it it's is. on Shattuck. It's on 48th and Shattuck. Okay. And, uh, and so that's coming up. I think they're in tech right now. Mm-hmm. So that's just about to open. So I wanted to get the word out on that because that should be exciting to see. A woman playing one of these li- major lead male roles mm-hmm. in Chekhov should be fun. Nice. Very, very nice. Also, um, another good friend of mine, um, Deb Carragher, um, mm-hmm. who, uh, I don't know if you know her, but uh, she's a, um, she yeah, she had a birthday this past week. I um, She directed, um, it was Wonder of the World, this is back uh, in my EastEnder days, mm-hmm. um, several years ago, and then she uh, moved to Texas and had her life there. Now she's back in the Bay Area. Mm. I saw her as uh, I did um, uh, Well. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Well, by Lisa Cron. And mm. she uh, came, and I was like, wow, she's here. So, so Deb character, if you're there, happy belated birthday. Um, fantastic voice coach as well. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, she, she does that as well as a good actress and a, good, and a great director as well. Anything else? Uh, well, for me, I've got my kids performing next week. Um, mm-hmm. This seventh grade class that I work with, so Hannah and the Dread Gazebo will have its moment mm-hmm. in front of probably about five dozen or so people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm rooting for them. I'm, yeah, I'm hoping it, that they'll. And today was, like I said, it was a stumble turn, but I told them afterwards. I told them I'm not going to lie to them. I'm not going to tell them things are going well when it's not. Mm-hmm. But I said, here's the good news. We did the stumble turn, and then we yeah. had a break. Yeah. I went to get a cup of coffee, and I bumped into two of the teachers. Mm-hmm. I bumped into a few staff as I went to get my cup of coffee, mm-hmm. and they all know me and know I'm one of the drama people. Yeah. So they asked me, and I said, well, actually, I'm feeling really good. It was a stumble through. It was ugly and nasty. That's mm-hmm. what stumble throughs are. Mm-hmm. But it also puts everybody on notice. This is what needs to happen in order for us to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. This didn't go well, but you didn't die. Yeah. You got through it because that was the thing. People would call for line, and I'm like, not today. You don't call for line today. You get through it. And you've got five days to mm-hmm. pull it together. That's so right. that's going to be exciting. I'm happy that's happening. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy that I just finished the other one. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be doing.
21st, and so I'll pitch it again next time, but mm -hmm. um, the 21st and the 28th mm -hmm. um, at the Potrero State, which used to be called the Thick House in San Francisco. The, the Thick House, there. yeah. Yeah. We were talking about the Black Box Theater. I remember being at the Thick House, and I think the, um, the green room is yeah. right underneath, underneath the, where the, the audience dressing is. Room yeah, is the dressing right room. under the audience. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's coming up, and then if anybody knows young people who are interested in a program, this is way down the line now, this is July, mm -hmm. um, I'll be leading a playwriting and acting workshop at the Eugene O'Neill, um, Eugene O'Neill, it's, um, the foundation is sponsoring it, it's at the Dow House, which is in Danville, Okay. and it's a free program, and they will even pay for your BART. There, so you bark to Walnut Creek, and they will pick you up at the, with a shuttle. Mm -hmm. The grounds, no cars are allowed on the grounds anymore. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's the Eugene O'Neill. This is the house that he had when he made his money and was the big American playwright. Mm -hmm. He bought this house in Danville, had this house built. It's a gorgeous house. Oh, fantastic! Uh, by the time he was at the end of his career, he was actually living back in an apartment someplace back east. Yeah. But um, I'll be there, and I'll be running a program for a couple of weeks in July. Okay. And so it's uh, aimed at high schoolers who have some theater experience and want to write and or act. Mm -hmm. And so that's coming up. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely put a plug in both on Facebook and on, and on SoundCloud. And also, um, it looks like we're wrapping it up. So uh, once again, the Musical Cafe, that's where I'll be doing uh, The Chain. And there'll be a bunch of other acts as well. Uh, Adulting for Beginners, Backsli Backslide, The Chain, and Pygmalion. These are all new, growing uh, musicals. Uh, and as part of the Musical Cafe, it's going to be at the Ashby Stage, May 20th, 22nd, and 23rd. Um, and that's Shotgun Players Theater. It's right across from Ashby Park. So it's really the music. <coughs> exactly. Musicalcafe.org. So mm -hmm. check that yeah. out. And that's it. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> I got to think of that. Well, I, I came up with the intro, so I'll leave you with the outro. You will be in our assignment. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay, folks, um, thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend, and we 